0: It's been a while, hasn't it? Ephesians four verses one to six. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another and love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called to one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Father, teach us that the words that come today be yours. And Father, may our souls... May our conscience, may our hearts receive with eagerness and joy as we understand what the Apostle Paul is pouring his heart out here in the will of the Most High God. To you, my King, my Lord, in Christ's name, Amen. This is an amazing text and I've spent some time reading on it. A lot of time when I was traveling this last three weeks, I've been in this book of Ephesians myself, personally reading it every day for almost four and a half years. The book just keeps getting kind of bigger, and and I I just keep standing in awe. Many of you know my testimony, how I came to salvation, and uh, when I got saved, I was not raised in the church. I had no idea what I was supposed to do. I knew I needed to be baptized, so I found a guy to baptize me. After I got baptized, I said what do I do now? And he said, well, read the Gospel of John. I said, wow, okay. And I thought, why does he want me to read something in the middle of a book? I mean, read the beginning or the end, but why, you know, kind of stuck in the middle? And what I learned was, is that the church at that time, and it's still a lot today, is worried about making converts, You know, how many people have you baptized? How many people have said a prayer? How many people have joined? Whatever. Uh, And yet the Great Commission is to make disciples, to to make learners. Which means that you you probably ought to read this thing and know what it says. Uh, You know, we were reading in Numbers today. We started in Genesis. We will eventually go through the whole entire Bible. Uh, And, you know, I know pastors right now who's never read the whole entire Bible. But one of the things that I've seen here in this text is that we've been through this, and I'll remind you of this. The first three chapters is theology. Okay, theology is the study of God. All right, so we got to see three chapters of the mind of God. We got to see what he and the Godhead was doing before creation, and then what he did to fulfill the plans before creation. And now that you and I are living as children of God in Christ, and then you you see that and you just sort of, wow, okay, now that you know who you are in Christ, what are you supposed to do? And that's what we're dealing with in these first six verses. Uh, The lowly walk of a high position. We are children of God. I kind of look at it as the standard of the Christian life. It's funny, it seems like everybody knows what a Christian is supposed to do. Lost people know how you're supposed to act. Saved people think they know how you're supposed to act. And yet, very few of them ever really look at the Bible and say, okay, what does it say? I I showed you that in verse 1, therefore, in light of these three chapters of theology, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, I beg you, I beseech you, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And um, when I kind of look through this, they're basics, but they are progressive. We have seen these truths. And the heart of the issue is not your action. That's crazy, isn't it? The heart of the issue is the inner self, your attitude, your character, your nature. You ever heard the phrase born again? You know what that means? Start over. Start over. I heard uh, one writer say it is the heart attitude. I thought that was kind of cool. Then I was reading... uh, John Calvin, and he said, these would be inner graces. And I was like, yeah, because you know what? We are told in the book of Proverbs that out of the mouth speaks the the heart. Okay? So what we're looking at, basically, it should be the character of every believer. Christian life is not simply what we do. Okay? The issue... Is what we are, and I—I I have to be honest with you. I struggle with what I see in Christendom. I see people who are busy, but I, their attitudes do not bring unbelievers anywhere near. When someone becomes a Christian, the normal thing to do is to tell them, well, first you need to read your Bible and start in the middle. <laughs> that, that just doesn't make sense to me. But if, if you want to start in the Gospel of John, knock yourself out. I like Matthew better. So there. Well, if you're going to read your Bible, then, then you really need to pray. You need to pray. And of course, you better go to church. Go to church. You need to go to church. Get a star for perfect attendance or whatever you got to do, but go to church. And and then, you know, you you need to every time you see somebody, you need to talk to them about Jesus. That sound familiar? You know what? As a brother in Christ, yeah, you need to read your Bible. That's that's a good thing. And yeah, you need to pray. And you know what? You need to not forsake the assembly together, which is the habit of some. And, you know, there are times when you should talk to people about Christ. Okay? But I would say in light of this text, that is one step removed from the real issue. The real issue, what I just gave you, read, pray, go, talk, all that's external And Paul is telling us, now that you are a Christian and you know who you are in Christ, here's what I want you to do. I want you to deal with the inner man. Remember the prayer at the end of chapter 3? That you be strengthened with the might of the Holy Spirit. Where? In the inner man. In the inner man. And then... The prayer that is in chapter 1, verse 17 and following, open their eyes that they may understand this. Okay, until you do that, you can't begin to see the power of God. Now, you can be busy. You know, I was in construction when I got saved, and, you know, I, I said, Well, what do I do in the church? Well, what do you do? And I told him, and He says, We need it painted. Oh well, Hallelujah, I'll paint it. And you know, I, I thought I was on the road. Okay? It didn't work out that way. It all begins with the inside. And that's what he's talking about in 1 to six of chapter four. Because see what we are on the inside. Will be seen by people on the outside. You know, I think about this. I and I, have, I don't like to be personal about it, but I know where I came from. I know who I was. Okay, I knew what I was capable of, uh, and I was an uh, an evil, evil man. I was. Uh, I was your best friend if you were mine. I was your worst enemy if you weren't my friend. And people knew it. And I, I, it's so weird that all of that is gone. I'm not vindictive. I I don't get angry. Uh, I used to have a very short fuse. I just, and, and I just sit there, there's times I just look at it and think, I can't believe this stuff. But then I started looking at this kind of stuff, and it says, I understand my call is to walk worthy of this great, phenomenal theology that He has given us. And I walk worthy based on who I am, who we are in Christ Jesus. The characteristics of who we are, they're characterized there in that just verse 2. It's what we are to be. And what we are to be, that's what we do, and that's how we walk worthy. I mean, the, the whole thing is summarized right there the unity of the Spirit. Do these things. Do you, do you understand that the worthy walk is to be unified? It's that, that's that simple. I mean, and we said, to, what is the church for? To be unified. Why? Because when the church is unified, the lost people go, wow, man, look at that. But go look around at some churches today and tell me that's what you're seeing. You know, I've been around long enough to know, you know, I'll be celebrating 25 years here in a couple of weeks. I've been around long enough to know that unity is about as fragile a thing as I've ever seen. And I think a lot of it is because people don't know what this says. These inward graces, as Calvin would call them, they unify us. This inward attitude. By the way, if you look at that in humility and gentleness and patience and tolerance for love for one another, do you understand something about those? Those ain't natural. That's not common to us. You know? The goal of all of this, have you ever had somebody says, I, I don't know what God's will is? Let me give you one. That you be united in love for one another. Okay? Remember in John 17, I call that the Lord's Prayer because Jesus is praying. He says, love as I have loved you. Because that's the essence of the church. That's what the church is. That we be one. And you know what? It makes my heart break right now when I see what I see. John 13 says, I want you to love one another. And this oneness, the world will know that you are my disciples. Okay, and that love of Christ is supernatural. Supernatural. That love of Christ will produce a supernatural unity. The whole idea of loving the unity of the church. And then when you do that, you understand that it's supernatural in origin. Think about it for a second. Tell me one human institution that is unified. Can you think of anything? No, I don't care where you work. I don't care what you do. If there's always someone. It might even be you. You've heard the phrase, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. That's unifying, isn't it? See what I mean? There's not a human institution where you can say this is absolutely unified. And yet the church is called to unity. Unity which tells me that it has to be supernatural. And you know, uh, that we would be one. Do you realize that that was what Christ's prayer for us was? That we would be one? Because if we're one, then the world will know that Christ sent us. I have traveled internationally, and except for two men... (laughs) one in Russia and one in Azerbaijan. I was completely unified with these people. Completely unified. And I mean, there was a language barrier. The Russians used to want to blow us up, and we wanted to blow them up, and how know all that was going on, and yet we were completely at peace with one another. I've traveled, I've seen it. And yet there's some Christians around here that... I hope I'm not chained to on Judgment Day. Jesus tells us that the unity of the church will manifest the supernatural character of the leader of the church, who is Jesus Christ. And you know who's leading the church when there is unity. And the church is not like any other human institution the church is a supernatural organism you know and i i deal because of i've been in this community so long that the pastors in this town have to put up with me and i talk to them on a regular basis and everything i hear is a business model i've run businesses i know how they work And everything that I hear is what I would call pragmatism. That is not supernatural. And they wonder why they have church fights. Well, I got news for you. If you're the CEO, the board of directors don't think you're producing, you're out of here and we'll get somebody who does. That's human ingenuity. Listen, I wasn't looking for this job when I got it. And on the top two million things I wanted to be when I grew up, this wasn't on the list. Okay? But I believe in the supernatural unity of the body. But I also believe that it has to be done by God's direction. It isn't by our ingenious ideas or plans or charts. Or growth models. I get something every day in the mail on how to grow the church. You know, I read this thing and it said he was in charge of that. And I'm like, I don't want to compete with that. It is the unity of the church that will show the world a reason to believe that the church is a supernatural organism. When the church does this, the world sees it other than a human institution. When there are fractions and factions and disunity and backbiting and gossiping and all the rest of it, then the world says, what's the difference between that and Microsoft? (laughs) The amount of money, that's one, but (laughs) other than that... God's goal in the church is unity. Listen, I, I, I love you guys uh, tremendously, uh, even you who are visiting, but you and I cannot produce it. You know, uh, I was talking to him, and and I, and I ride motorcycles, and I came to church. They're not here anymore. I'm allowed to talk about them. So I came to church on my bike, and they pulled up in the parking lot right behind me. And they said, uh, Where's your helmet? I said, Well, I got one taped to the back back here. Why aren't you wearing it? By law, I don't have to. They got mad. Well, how can you be a pastor and not wear a helmet? I don't know how you can be a pastor and ride a motorcycle. They said, Well, why do you ride? Too hard to push. (laughs) That's not complicated. See, that's the kind of stuff that I, you, you have to deal with that you sit there and you say, well, I don't even understand the point of this conversation. God wants unity in His church. He wants a loving, invincible, undividable unity. And it's so important that we have it written down in John 17 in Christ's prayer. And you know what I've learned? Man cannot pull this off. And yet unity is the goal. So when I read back on this text and I think about what the worthy walk is, it's very simple. The ultimate end is oneness. There's oneness. Paul has already told us in the first three chapters that there is neither male nor female. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. They are all One. That's unity. Oneness is to be manifest. Oneness will be seen. Why? It is so unique. Think about it. It is one of the most abstract things that exist. We're unified until you make me mad. Or vice versa. I'm into equal rights. So salvation is oneness. So in verse 2. How do we get to this real unity, this supernatural unity, to walk worthy? Well, the first step is, and we looked at this a few weeks ago, all humility. You know what all humility is? All of it. In all things, humility. James chapter 4, verse 10 says this, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Humble yourself in his sight, and he will lift you up. It's difficult. I understand. I'm, I'm not new here. Humility is not in our nature. Is it? No, it's, I'm always proud about something. I don't know what it was, but it's got to be something I was good at. I'm still working on that. I'll find mine shortly. All humility it means in everything that I deal with, I'm humble about it. I'm humble about it. I've got this in one of my toolbox. I got this bit. It's got a real short handle, but a huge head on it, sledgehammer. And I've never used it. Okay. But I've got it. Okay. It's, it's sort of like my ultimate fix. You know, because I can fix anything with this. Or I can make it so it doesn't have to ever be fixed. Okay? But it, it just sits in there, and I, no, I don't I don't ever use it. You know, you open up the toolbox, and that, that one drawer, you open it up, there's this big old stinking hammer in here with a little bitty handle on it, so it, I won't hurt myself. Jeremiah chapter 9 beginning at verse 23, Thus saith the Lord, Let not a wise man boast in his wisdom, let not a mighty man boast in his might, let not a rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, righteousness on the earth, for I delight in In these things, declares the Lord. Ever thought about that? That's wild if you think about it. I boast that I know God. What? Yeah. We're like this. We hang together. there's nothing to boast about there's nothing to glory in only that we know the Lord I know the Lord Hmm. he's even helped me with clutches on motorcycles he seems to know them way better than I do because I can never get them things to adjust and I say okay Lord I'm back to square one again how about a hand and sure enough it adjusts back out and you're sitting there going wow I guess I should have asked you the first four times. (laughs) Yeah, very slow. Okay, in this humility, that leads to, depending on your translation, either meekness or gentleness. Okay, meekness or gentleness. Both of them are the same. Meekness is a manifestation of all humility, total humility. Uh, It's a quiet, willing submission to God and to others. Right? There's no rebellion, there's no revenge, there's no retaliation, there's no asserting of one's self. Right? All of those are characteristics of the lost. I gave you a definition a few weeks ago that it's power under control. It is a person who only gets angry when God is offended. It's a person who never worried about self being offended, nor does it defend itself. Doesn't do it. Power under control never retaliates, never reacts to self. And when you have the humble heart, the humble spirit starting off, then this gentleness or meekness, whichever one you want to use, is a serious impact on the ministry. Do you ever ever think about this? You can't be offended. Think about that for a second. I can't be offended. You can't offend me. And I have some people who work hard at it. God bless them. Okay? It's like getting in the express checkout at the grocery store that has... Ten items, and the lady's there with two baskets. And are you counting metric or what? Would you just smile? And then the lady said, you know, I'm really sorry about that. And I was like, you know what? Being in a hurry is overrated. You end up using that big hammer of mine. We are here... In humility, our salvation should be a humbling experience. So there will be wondrous unity. In Philippians chapter 2, he says, I wish you had this same love, this same oneness. What, what is that one, Paul? Like the mind of Christ. What is that, Paul? Let each esteem others better than themselves. Do you realize that if you esteem people more than yourselves, you can never have an argument? Think about it. If you're married, you get into it with your spouse, it's because one of you thinks you're right. But if you don't argue back, that just makes them mad. (laughs) It's kind of cute if you think about it, but... Do not look on your own things. Have the mind of Christ. See, and yet humility is the key to this. Where there is humility, then there will be gentleness. Where there is gentleness, there is no retaliation. There's nothing there to defend myself for. And let me tell you, but yet again, this is not a human characteristic. It's an acceptance of whatever happens. And it comes... To God, when it comes to God, I will defend. And I don't even argue about that. I, why? I just look at him and said, have you not read? And when people look at me, usually they're pastors or something like that, and I say, well, have you not read? They know what I'm saying. Okay? I mean, you know, well, we need to be unified. Well, you need to read. Because if you read the same book that I read, then we should be what? Unified, theoretically. Okay, but I can honestly say that that don't work all the time. Because some people, I don't know, it's like my old buddy used to say, the Bible is like a prisoner of war. You torture it long enough, it'll say anything. Which brings me to what I want to get started on today, and then I'll finish it next week. You take the humility and the meekness, and it can only lead to one thing. My translation here says patience, patience. That's an interesting word. Some of your translations may say long-suffering. I think long-suffering is a better definition of this word, and you'll see why here in in a few. Uh, It's makrophomia in the Greek, and it literally means long-tempered. Okay? Don't have a short fused. All right. So the first attitude of this word is that uh that it never gives into a negative circumstances. It never gives into it. And it don't matter how bad the circumstance is. Doesn't matter how bad the situation is. It don't matter what's going on. I'm not going to give into it. I'm not. going to let it change. Have you ever heard this phrase? That person gave me a bad attitude. No, they didn't. You let them. Okay? I don't let people give me a bad attitude. I ain't saying that people don't hurt my feelings. All right? But I ain't going to let you have my attitude. Why? Because I consider others more important than myself. I mean... I was called a lot of bad, awful things before I got saved, okay? And I didn't care, okay? I've been called worse since I've been saved, okay? But what I really realized is that, you know what? It don't matter. I don't care what you think about me. I care about what my king thinks about me. That is the person who never gives in to the situation. I don't care how bad the situation is. Let me give you some illustrations of this. In uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 15, he's speaking of the man Abraham. God had made, in verse 13, God had made the promise to Abraham since he would swear to no one greater and he swore him by himself. He swore unto God and God made a covenant with Abraham. Okay? Saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. Okay? Now, I don't know about you. God tells you that you're going to have kids that number as the sands of the sea and you're pushing 90 And you and your precious bride ain't getting it done. Okay, and I'm going to have all these kids. But you know what was amazing about Abraham? And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. Now, I don't don't know about having a kid when you're 90 to start with. But I guess if you waited that long, then it's a blessing. That's one of those mixed blessings, right? (laughs) He received the promise. You know, he held to the promise that God had made for him. He believed him. In Romans chapter 4, verse 20, he patiently endured and he looked on to the promise of God. Now listen, that's strong faith. But if you go look at Abraham's life, you see that his faith progressed As he went through a lot of tough stuff. And yet the whole time he's giving glory to God. Barren wife, old age. And a child whose name is laughter. Okay. Let me give you another illustration. Noah. God tells Noah, I'm going to judge the world. And I want you to build a boat, big boat, huge boat, in the middle of the desert. Okay, how big was the boat? took him 120 years. God told Noah, hey, I'm going to make it rain. You know what's amazing about that? There's no record ever that it had ever rained anywhere. I'm going to make it rain. Okay, what's rain? (laughs) I don't know what that is. Build a boat. Okay, how big? Big boat. Big, huge boat. But you know I'm in the desert, right? Yeah, that's it's no problem. 120 years. People mocked him for 120 years when he said judgment was coming. I wonder what they thought when the first raindrop hit him in the forehead. And then it continued for 40 days and 40 nights. How about Moses. Moses endured with the people of God rather than the pleasures of sin for a season. He was raised in Pharaoh's house and he went back to the Hebrew people. And then he decides to take a man and a half of them on a camping trip in the desert. Why? He was holding to the promises of God. The ability to take on any circumstance and never give up. Never bail out. Never get angry. Never lose control, okay? That's what he's talking about in James chapter five, verse 10. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Okay, the word patience there, the same one we've been looking at. <laughs> suffering afflictions, they suffered, and yet they endured. The prophets. You ever thought about the prophets? Those poor guys. Gee whiz. Let's get do a couple of them here quickly. Jeremiah. God confronts Jeremiah and he says, I want you to preach your entire life to the day you die. And I'm going to give you the message. Yes, Father. You got it, God. Lord, you name it. You got it. And then he gives him this, by the way, no one will ever listen to you and no one will ever turn. And the nation will go greater and greater to evil, no matter what you say. I don't know about you, but I know what my response is. What's the point? (laughs) How about I go sit on the beach and wait for the end? Jeremiah was faithful and he delivered and he preached the Lord's message and he endured he endured some terrible stuff. He was hated, he was persecuted, he was mocked, he was maligned, he was rejected by the very people God sent him to. But yet he was long suffering. Long suffering. Remember, he was truly a humble man. You preached that many years for no apparent reason. That's humility. For God's causes, he would endure any circumstance. And it didn't matter what happened to him. I imagine if I was him, there would be times I wish I was out of here. Can I get this over with quicker? There is a reason that he was called the weeping prophet. You know why? You go read Jeremiah and Lamentations. You know what you find? What did he do most of? He cried. He cried. I'm speaking on behalf of God to a stiff-necked people, and they ain't listening. Take Isaiah. God said, here, here's the message that I want you to preach. By the way, the nation will go deeper and deeper into sin of idolatry and will come under judgment by pagan Babylonians even though you're preaching and yet he endured and he he did not win a bunch of friends (laughs) in Acts chapter 20 the apostle Paul he was a man without a people the Jews hated him the Gentiles thought he was a nut. Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 22. And now behold, bound in the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish the course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of grace of God. I am going to endure for the message that I have been sent for anything, even imprisonment and even death. Acts 21, he runs into a prophet named Agabus. He tells him what he's going to do. And Agabus takes his belt off. He wraps up his hands and binds them together and says, this is how you will go to Jerusalem. Verse 13 of 21, then Paul answered, because when they had heard this in verse 12, the people that were in the room with him, when they had heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him, don't go up to Jerusalem. Verse 13, then Paul answers, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Even in negative circumstances. Okay, I want to close with a quote. i gave give it to you a month or so ago. John Bunyan. John Bunyan was in the London Tower, the Tower of London, for preaching the gospel. And so every Sunday morning what he did is he'd get up to the window of the tower and he'd begin preaching. And great masses would gather outside this prison to hear John preach queen of England came, she says, he had a a handicapped child and he said, I will release you so you can go help your daughter and your wife if you stop preaching. You know what he said? He who is lying down fears no fall. And he continued preaching. You know what happened it was weird? The queen just up and died. And they released him. Next week we'll look at the attitude that takes anything people can dish out. That ought to be encouraging, eh? So when we think about long suffering <laughs> We know the first thing is, is the attitude of whatever the circumstance or whatever the situation, guess what? It don't matter. My Lord has brought me this far. My Lord will take me the rest of the way. But those don't happen unless I start off with a heart of absolute humility in all things. That will lead to meekness. That is power under control. I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to retaliate, I don't have to get revenge, I don't have to get even, but I will defend the word of the Lord. And that will lead to long-suffering, patience, right? Patience, we all want patience, right? I want patience, and I want it now, right? I heard somebody say, well, you know, you need to pray for patience. I said, no, I don't. It comes. (laughs) I don't ever have to ask for it. It just shows up. Why would I ask for patience? Okay? These are the characteristics of a Christian. And then all of a sudden, it will be seen. And people will know that you are supernatural. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, my challenge to you. See the door right there? Or that one. You can go out either one. Walk worthy in all unity. Father, we come before you holding to your promises, holding to your pledge. Father, you have saved us. You have saved us to do exceedingly, abundantly beyond what we could ever think or imagine. Uh, I have seen many and yet I am still here. So that means I get to see more. Father, I pray that these precious souls get to see exceedingly abundantly what you do in your power in the inner man. And that, Father, we would walk humble in all things. Father, we would do it with the meekness of Jesus Christ, with long sufferings of the prophets. We thank you. And we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.